Greetings and welcome. Today's interview is with Terry Sadak, a musician, dancer, and community organizer who works as development coordinator with Concern America, an international nonprofit based right here in Santana that works hand in hand with underserved communities worldwide, promoting healthcare, clean water, education, and economic opportunity. You can find a link to their website on our website. As will emerge in our interview, Terry and I, your program host, enjoy a unique relationship. This enabled us to record this interview in two sessions, separated by almost four months. You'll hear me say at the beginning that we were recording in late July 2020, but portions were recorded in late November, which accounts for my remarks about the presidential election. For one of her songs, Terry chose a famous song by one of the most famous British rock bands of all time but you won't really hear that song in her interview. And you may have noticed, in fact, that we generally play only very short clips of the music we talk about. This is because of copyright. We would have to pay a lot of money to get a license to use whole songs. And in the case of really famous artists like the ones Terry chose, their estate has armies of lawyers who are poised to pounce on us if we overstep. It would appear that all you need, in the end, is not love, but money. But never fear, you can hear both Terry's songs free on our Spotify playlist, accessible via our website at ciofuera.org. All right, well then let's get started. So it is the 29th of July, 2020, and I am going to ask my interviewee to introduce herself. Please tell us your name and your pronouns and... Anything you'd like us to know about who you are and a little bit maybe about how it is that you are in Santa Ana at this time. Um, my name is Terry Sadak, and my preferred pronouns are she and her. A little bit about me, I guess, would be that I am the youngest of five girls and I grew up in Orange County, but I've, I've been back in Santa Ana for almost 10 years. And I work with an international development nonprofit that trains community members to provide healthcare services and clean water internationally. And here in Santa Ana, I'm very connected to the Centro Cultural de Mexico, a community cultural center that I started coming to when I was in high school. And there was connected with not only music, which was really important, but also just local community activism and starting to be involved with, with more things happening in the area and internationally. And so I've stayed in contact with a lot of the people from the Centro and since moved back to have continued to be really active there. So so that was, that's part of the reason why I moved back here. Terry, how old are you? I am 34 years old. All right. Um, so when you mentioned, uh, Centro and you said it was a reason you moved back here, where did you move from? Where, where were you before that, that piece is missing? Well, I, I used to live around here. I grew up in Southern California and then I went to school in San Francisco for four years. Um, and then from there I moved to Guatemala for about three and a half years. Um, and so when I was in Guatemala, the organization I work with is actually based in Santa Ana. Um, and so I was kind of deciding whether I, I continue working with Concern America in Guatemala or I, they also offered me to go to Colombia. 
or they also offered me a position in their home office in Santa Ana. So, um, so it was deciding between a lot of different things, but I thought it would also be nice. It would be a little bit closer to my family. My sisters were having kids and so I was kind of wanting to spend more time with them during this time. Something that we really should mention for the listeners is that my our relationship is unique among all the uh, interview relationships that are happening in the context of this program. And that is that we live together. We've lived together for God, like almost seven years. I think, I think so. It's something like that. <laughs> something like that. Long time. The fact that we can't tell how long it is, it's actually a good sign because yeah. we, we get along really well. And then, of course, in the last nine months, not only have we lived together, but we have sheltered in place together. Yeah, and, that's great, too. And the fact that we're still speaking and, you know, pretty friendly. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a good thing. But, yeah, that's, that's an element that makes this one interview unique uh, is, is our relationship. As you know, you can answer this question, where are you from? You can answer it in any modality that you want. You can take it as a geographical question. You can take it as a cultural question. It could refer also, you know, to your state of mind. Where are you coming from right now at this minute? Really, any way you want to take this question, where are you from? And then maybe you could tell me the name of a song or a piece of music that represents that place or that culture or that state of mind? Well, I think maybe not where where I'm at right now, but where I had been coming from for a long time, more like in my original foundations of, of life. I don't know. I guess when I was younger, I was very... I wouldn't say that I'm not optimistic now. I that's I think that I am. But I feel like then I thought it was a lot simpler. What was a lot simpler? Um, I think just like life and relating to people. You love and care for somebody or you don't. And it was, I guess, a little bit more black or white or it didn't require as much work. Like... You love somebody because you love them, and then they're in your group forever. Um, <laughs> but but really, it's, you know, loving anybody, whether it's romantic or your friends or your community, it requires a lot more effort than just saying that you care about somebody or feeling that is you have to do a lot of action, and it's not it's not easy most of the time. You know, sometimes it is, but a lot of times it's not. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it was a time where I hadn't really thought about the full concept. Yeah, as a child, mm-hmm. of course. So the song that I was thinking about where I come from is the song All You Need Is Love by the Beatles. This song was first aired July 7th, 1967, as part of the Our World television program. The program was the world's first live internationally broadcast program that featured visual artists and musical performances across 14 different countries. First launched by the BBC, it was realized by many television corporations around the globe and was watched by some 23 million people. I started listening to Beatles when I was about five and like with people in my family and my neighbor, things that they were into. And so I got really into and was uh, I was a pretty diehard Beatles fan, probably until I 
until I reached high school and then <laughs> and then and then you know started branching out a little bit more because my sisters and, and other people's musical influences and I still love them and I listen to them a lot. Isn't it sort of unusual for a child? I mean you, you said you probably started hearing this music when you were about five and so maybe from the time you were in primary school isn't it kind of unusual for a child to be to really grasp and be so motivated motivated by the idea of global harmony of of this other kind of love that isn't personal isn't necessarily even your family and i wondered if you could just talk a little bit about the culture in your family growing up that may have made that possible for you hmm yeah um yeah i don't know i think i always had really close i mean my family my sisters um i'm i'm one of five girls um and we're, we're pretty different, but we're still, we're pretty close. Um, and my parents and um, my grandma lived with us. And I always had really good, close friends. Um, so I guess that was kind of my basis of an understanding of how we relate to each other, like on a personal level. Um, and then I think in general, I think my parents did a good job about exposing us to to other communities and to, we did a lot of road trips. My mom especially was pretty active in a lot of things in, in, in the church, I guess, for one thing, but um, just kind of being aware about what's happening in the world. And so my sisters are all older than I am, so a little bit through them. Ah, um, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. All You Need Is Love was aired amidst the peak of the youth counterculture movement of the 1960s to the 1970s. Part of this movement was a break away from the established norms and cultural values in U.S. American society. It was as if there was a conscious move away from the firmly established, functionalist view of approaching life. It was felt as a particular romanticism, what musicologist Colin Campbell defines as a movement in which feeling and passion is elevated above reason and logic, and in which an emphasis is placed upon the power of imagination and the importance of intense emotional experience. Romanticism involves believing that insight into reality can only be attained through powerful emotional and imaginative experience. And as poet John Keats puts it, what the imagination seizes as beauty must be true. This type of romanticism can be noticed all over the Beatles albums and is key to understanding all you need is love. In the Beatles' early music, the idea of love was presented as existing between two people, a romantic love, that could be ended by either of those two people. By the end of the Beatles' career, love had become more than just affection between two people, but rather a philosophy, or way of life, that does not require reciprocation from another. It instead is something that can, and indeed should be, held toward all people and all living things. My parents are definitely not like, you know, people that that are like, no, you would not consider them hippies at all or just like <laughs> espouse that, you know. But um, but I think they, they do have a general sense of like, you know, living in a, in a world bigger than ourselves. Yeah, it's you know, it's really interesting. I mean, I've I've met your parents. I know them a little bit. And. And, you know, your mom in particular, she's very, very involved in the Catholic Church, and neither you nor I is involved in the Catholic Church, and we have our reservations about it. But um, 
there is that about the Catholic Church. I mean, the, the word Catholic means everywhere and for everyone. And at its best, I think, you know, that that consciousness is, you know, is there for good people who are working within that church. Yeah. Your mom seems like that kind of a person to me. Yes. Yes. And she's, I mean, there's all different types of people that interpret the Bible in different ways. But my mom is definitely like, Jesus was poor and he was there for the poor. And that's, you know, that's more the reality of than what a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Follow. Yeah, indeed. So, so yeah, you were you were getting it from a lot of directions at once. It sounds like I think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So back to our discussion of uh, all you need is love. I think I have just one more question for it, but it's a big one. So, asking you now to to, to you know this 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 is the song that has to do with where you come from. That's why you chose it. Mm -hmm. But I'm asking you to answer this question now in terms of where you are now. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you, you partly did already, but I'd like to hear you talk about it a little bit more. Is love all you need to make the world a better place? Hmm. Yes, but it's part, it's, mm -hmm. it depends on what you do with it. Like if you say you love somebody, then that's not enough. Um, yeah. to just say it, I guess. Um, but it, it has to be part of, it has to influence a lot of things. So I think it could be all you need if it motivates you enough to take action and work for something or even loving yourself and like setting, setting those boundaries. But I mean, I think it does stem from love. Um, and I think like respect, you know, can stem, stem from love, like all, all of those things, but, but that has to follow. There's like a misperception of love and it's all, it's, it could also be like, like obsessing or even like, I, you know, I'm, I love my country, so I won't criticize it. And when people say that, but it's not really love because you're not, you're not addressing the things that, that need to be addressed and, and the things that are harming our country you're not willing to point out, um, and yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. falling well, apart. How interesting you should bring that <laughs> up on today of all days, the day in which we think, although, you know, I'm going to believe it when the electoral college confirms it, but yeah. we think, uh, that the 2020 election might have been decided. Um, but yeah, well that, yeah, the relationship between love and critique a lot of people don't grasp that, mm -hmm. I think. Um, yeah, love love can have teeth in it. Yeah. Or just like loving and like letting somebody go, you know, it's like you have to do that. Or loving people and then having them not be in your life for a while. Like that's, mm. you know, that's a way to do that as well, depending on, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, it strikes me as you're speaking that, Love is, it's sort of like gasoline. I mean, that's all you need to make a car able to go if it's a gas-powered car. Mm -hmm. But somebody's got to drive that car. Yeah. You know, and they've got to drive it correctly. Yeah. Or love can create a terrible disaster. It seems that there is a loss of innocence whenever we choose to understand something deeper. For Terry, and very much for the Beatles, Understanding love in a deeper, more interconnected way meant shedding the easier, less complicated idea of what love is and what it can be. While sobering, it is also freeing and powerful. 
Choosing to look beyond ourselves and seeing how we can connect and love those around us is the first step towards a better future for us all. Cool. Thank you. And then the second question is, what is a song or a music or piece of music or a kind of music that expresses your hopes for the future? The most immediate response that comes to mind is the song Siki Siri, which is like the opening song often used in the Fandango in like the Son Jarocho tradition. Musica de Cuerdas has a lot of different names, but comes from like the southern part of, of Veracruz. The version that I love is from Los Utrera. It's just like the perfect, like it, it just makes you feel happy and you just move. And it really, every, everything just blends together perfectly. Okay, so let's talk a little bit for our listeners about what a fandango is, because some of them will know this very well, and some of them will have no idea. And um, yeah, I just I'd, I'd like to kind of set the scene a little bit for what it means when there's going to be a fandango, uh, whether it's in rural Veracruz or here in suburban Orange County. Um, well, I mean, I guess I would describe a fandango as basically like a musical party where, you know, it's a gathering of people where, I mean, sometimes it's for a birthday or a wedding or funeral, it's all kinds of reasons to have a, a fandango, but, but music is, is kind of the motive around it that you're gathering people. There's different types from different areas, especially in Mexico that they have, you know, fandangos or huapangos. Um... But here, we, you know, here we play Son Jarocho. It's one of the fandangos that we know, um, where people gather with their instruments, jaranas, requintos. There's all different types of musical instruments that are used usually in this. So it's kind of, kind of like guitar-like instruments, a lot of them. Anyway. Yeah, a lot of uh, guitar and then like a, like a bass-type instruments. And then centered around a tarima, which is um, a wooden platform, small or large. Um, where people dance in the middle, but you dance and you, 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 that's part of the percussive element of the music. Tarimas are musical instruments as well as dance floors. So they're built to resonate and, Mm -hmm. um, they're pretty loud actually. I've been in rural settings where a fandango was taking place, you know, in the countryside and you can hear that percussion with, from people's feet. Oh, you know. A quarter mile, maybe more than a quarter mile away. Yeah, that's usually the loudest part. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. There's no firm line between dance and music making. They actually are the same thing in a fandango, which is really fun and cool. The dancing itself is an integral part of the sound world, as well as the social world of this tradition. Zapateado is a form of foot percussion, executed with hard-soled shoes on a resonant wooden platform, the tarima, mentioned in the interview. As Terry says, it's often the loudest part of the fandango. It is the rhythmic backbone. The dancers control the musical rhythm and not the other way around. It is particularly interesting in this regard to note that many sones are danced by women only. The fandango jarocho is literally a woman-centered event. And through their dancing, women control its pace and feel. Terry is an excellent dancer much in demand in fandangos. 
Because the zapateado on the recording Terry chose is not easy to hear in the mix, she recorded some excerpts for us so that listeners can hear the rhythmic feel of this style of dancing. The following audio excerpt has been recorded with one microphone close to the guitarra grande, played by Elizabeth, and another next to the tarima, placed close enough to capture the zapateado performed by Terry. The audio oscillates between the two so that you can listen to both of them in isolation. singing um there's a it's like a call and response for most of the songs or sones is what what they're called there's a particular melody and idea for the song um but the way that it's played is different each time so like there's not one set of verses that you always sing all the time so it's always varying yeah this it's like a song is like a it's like a container Yes. You know, and it's... And, and it, it changes each time. So that, I think that connects to a, a, another question that I think is really important. It's, it's a little bit harder to get at maybe than just describing, okay, what is a fandango in this tradition? Um, and that is, it, it's more like sort of why is a fandango? Uh, so fandangos do certain kinds of... Uh, work within a community. They serve certain purposes within a community, I think. And I think those purposes have shifted with migration, like what they do in a rural rancho. And that's one thing. What they do here in Santana is certainly related, but maybe a little different. And um, we should talk about that a little bit as well, I think. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the base of it is would be it's a way for people to relate to each other. Um, so I think in, in the community, people like, you know, are gathering for a party and it's a form of communication that people have. Um, and because it's music and because um, it's very participatory, so everybody can, can do something. So whether, whether you're, you're, you're dancing or you're, you're playing or you're singing, even participants just sitting and watching have a role. So it's like, I, more than anything, it's a gathering. Usually it's to celebrate something, but it could be anything. You, I mean, usually it's like it's somebody's birthday or um, a birth or a death, weddings. Um, and then like the fiestas patronales, like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like anniversary, religion, like... Um, Cosechas del año, sometimes they'll do that. Like there, there's even like, it's not like so talked about as much, but um, but there's like fandangos too, like when people are making tamales and or like sones para 
enterar la basura que usas, you know, like there's all, <laughs> there's so many things because there's different times for everything. Right, right, right. And I mean, what you're chiefly talking about here is, is the, um, you know, the rural tradition from, from which the fandangos that you and I have chiefly done here, here in Santana, uh -huh. you know, they're based on that tradition, very, very yeah. firmly based, and they draw from it in all sorts of ways. One thing I've noticed, uh, you know, with, with fandango culture here in Santana, which is an urban culture and a migrant culture, lar largely, you know, that sometimes we struggle a, a little bit. We've talked about having a fandango on, on Dia de Santana, and then it turns out there's more than one Santana. You know, there's like several saints with that name and makes it complicated. And and, and then it turns out, you know, that, that that day falls on a Wednesday, which is a work night for most people. So it's a non-starter. So the discussions about like, when shall we have the next big fandango? Of course, all of this was pre-COVID. Yeah. We haven't been talking about having fandangos in the last nine months. We're not quite sure when the next one is going to be. But in any case, um, in an urban setting, that does shift. Yeah, know. definitely. Something else that I, is really important to me as, as a fandanguera is uh, the music is all made by the people who attend the party. There's... I mean, I've been at fandangos where people got tired and so we put on, you know, some recorded cumbia for a while or something. But, but really, the, the, the soul of the fandango, fandango is the music that you make yourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's totally, totally interactive the entire time. Yes. Uh, there's no zoning out to this nice music that's just coming over the speakers. you got to do it. Yeah. They're a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Uh-huh. So and there's a lot of like ebb and flow during fandangos, like usually like Siki City, which is the song that I was, that I chose. Mm -hmm. um, that one is like full energy because it's the start of the fandango. So people are pumped. So that's when you always have like the most amount of people because sometimes they last all night, right? Or days in some places. Mm -hmm. um, and so it kind of, it's a kind of like an ebb and flow of people sometimes, but usually Siki is where everybody is there. There's the most people watching, most people that want to dance. I mean, I'm there and I'm pumped for Siki, but it's like, I'm not going to do as much work because like later on, <laughs> I, I'm going to need to be like, you I have to yourself. do, yeah. Because then you, sometimes maybe you play the first couple sonas and then you take a little break and then you come back strong in the morning time. It all, it all varies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's an amazing, amazing ebb and flow. And, you know, long about 2, 3 in the morning, if this is a good fandango, you're in an altered state by that point. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, it's not like anything else I've ever experienced. Um, okay, so last on this, on this thread, uh, and, you know, this question is, in a way, it's kind of an elephant in the room. Neither you nor I, we're obviously both quite involved in fandango culture, Neither you nor I is Mexican. Mm -hmm. um, I have no Latinx heritage at all, and I don't believe you do either. Nope. You know, so white girl from Orange County, white lady from Portland, Oregon. Mm -hmm. What? How, how did we get involved in this very regional, very specific Mexican musical tradition? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the centro is like the short answer. Yeah, you mentioned it earlier. Um, we both ended up 
attending classes and and helping organize fandangos and, and entering into this culture through the Centro Cultural de México here in Santana. And yeah, that is the short answer. I think I'm I'm asking the question on a slightly different level, maybe. Yeah. It's like what was it that made this, of all the traditions out there, the one that, you know, that drew you? Well, in general, um, I think there's, I think this type of music or like the function of this type of music is in every culture. Um, and that's kind of a broad statement, but I think the function is like participatory uh, music where people have a role and have a meaning to gather. Um, and, and this is like everywhere, like everywhere, there's a zillion more types. Um, so I think that generally most people are looking for ways to connect to people. And I don't know, I think here in the States, especially a lot of us don't have that of our blood heritage, I guess. Like, I'm Italian and Polish. Um, I mean, if I lived in New York, where there's, I have a lot more Italian relatives, I think maybe, like, I'd be a little bit more involved with, like, the Italian community. But here, I'm not as much. But I think that people have that natural tendency to want to connect through something that's a little bit bigger than themselves. Mm. Um, mm. And honestly, for me, I think with Son Harochon particularly, I mean, it's, it's amazing and beautiful and awesome. And I see it when I play to people. I think when it is successful, it's like we're transmitting that that participation and that excitement and, um, I don't know, alegría, where the music comes from. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, fandango energy can, if you're in a performance situation, you know, where the musicians are on a stage and the audience is not on the stage and there's that separation, you know, fandango energy can sort of go across that division and, and you know, that alegría, that, that mm-hmm. excitement that you're talking about is in the song that, or in the song yeah. that, you, that you chose. Uh, you know, that, that can just kind of erase that sense of separation. Yeah. So there are a number of versions of this one song recorded by Los Utrera. Why this version? Well, I mean, I think of like, in all recorded versions of almost all song anywhere, this per- particular version, I feel like, gathers the feeling of a fandango. There's just so much happening and so many elements and different phases of the song all in just seven minutes, which is nothing of what normally this has. You know, normally this this can be played for hours. And it's, it already has, like, so much buildup and emotion, um, and they do a great job of, uh, of bringing that into a recording because I feel like it, generally it's really difficult to to record song to keep that keep that feeling and keep that um, excitement about it and joy and I think they really did a good job of recording that in this in this version. Yeah, because it's it's not really performance music, right? It's right. it's music for participating in. Yes. And so the whole dynamic of like recording a song is a little bit already like alien to yes obviously they everything is tight and perfect about not only their musicianship but the way that they play together 
it, like I don't know I, I feel like especially this version they do a really good job of um, weaving together all of the different instruments and melodies like even starting with the with the two requintos at the beginning like the punteador which is like even higher and uh different parts are really woven in and out so you can hear all of the, the elements of it yeah yeah it's like in a nutshell <laughs> what what might in a fandango take place over you know 45 minutes or an hour yeah it's like, and oh. kind of like i think especially like in a fandango like if you walk around to different parts like you can hear things better mm-hmm. so it's kind of like you know if you're closer to requinto or like positions right in front of it you can hear it a lot better right there than if you are farther away and you can just hear the zapateado like you can hear the cajon and in, in this you can hear that percussiveness stronger at different points than mm-hmm. others and mm-hmm. yeah as as if you were walking around the fandango that's cool i i hadn't realized that but but thinking back to listening to it you're right that's that's the effect they get so you chose this song as a representative or an expression of your hopes for the future. Can you make that connection for us a little bit? Well, I think first off, I mean, to me, this song is very um, welcoming. I mean, this version in particular, but but also in general, it it really draws you in and it says, you know, something's going to happen. Come and listen or participate. Be part of this. Do the lyrics actually say that? What what are they singing about in in this song? In, the, in this particular version. In that particular mm. version, yes. Um. Not all of them. I think there is like the I think the opening verso is like introduction, but um, no, they mostly just use like beautiful versos or interesting versos. A lot of the versos are you know about kind of. Well, a lot of them are about love. Yeah. That other kind of love that, that the Beatles song is not about. <laughs> yeah. Yvette Jimenez de Baez, a professor of literature at the College of Mexico, published a compilation of traditional coplas, which we can think of as the verses, in Son Jarocho. As per her work, another typical copla sung in Sikirisi is Con permiso, compañeros, voy a empezar a cantar, pero sí, antes les aviso, que me van a despensar en este lugar que piso acabado de llegar he llegado a esta función a ver las mil maravillas y digo a todo el montón no soy de la mixtequilla pero doy mi corazón a toda la palomilla which translates as with permission companions I am going to start singing but first I ask you to make allowances for me in this place that I just arrived. I come to this event to see the thousand wonders, and I say to the whole crowd, I'm not from the Mixteca, but I give my heart to all the pretty girls. Uh, but, but you know, they're also about, like, the things that one would see and hear and experience. Oh, yeah. Worldly quality. Yeah. I don't know. They, they say, like, oh, like, um, like, oh, voy a empezar a, a cantar. I'm going to start singing or, like, you know, uh, 
for this is the first time that I'm singing in this home or um, sometimes they're like saludos, like, uh, you know, I'm this is who I am and this is where I came from. Um, you know, people have their own versos that they'll sing. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty typical. And that sometimes goes on for a while. And like a, and a real fandango is like, you know, the first, you know, 10 minutes or, you know, like introductory verses. So it's, so there's a lot of lyrics. There's a lot this of particular lyrics, song. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna put the the lyrics. Uh, it's not the word you usually use with song. We're gonna put the verses, the versos, up on the website. I thought about this song now because the gathering aspect of it, I think, mm. is is really important. I think the connection to like to history because it's traditional music and is made by a lot of people, and a lot of people know how to play. So I, mm-hmm. you know, it's. Inclusive, yeah, very inclusive and very community building. Like I think it, that's it brings that representation. As Terry mentioned, these coplas or versos, as she calls them, were meant to connect people, to gather people. We can see that in the fact that these lyrics are presented in everyday speech. These lyrics reflect the lived experiences of those who consume it, and in that way, serve to strengthen community bonds amongst the community and even invite others outside of it to join in and become part of those celebrations, traditions, and communities themselves. Very much like All You Need Is Love, CQDC is aimed at uniting people, connecting people, and reminding us all of our shared humanity. We all, on some level, want to give and feel love, just like we all, in some way or another, want to express ourselves, to be seen and accepted as we are, especially to those we hold dear. It makes it exceptionally nice and coherent pair with your first song, actually. Hmm. It's like, in my design of, you know, the structure of these interviews, the idea is where you're coming from and then kind of the idea with the, the Esperanza's question is, you know, where you're going to. Uh-huh. But it's, it seems like the, all you need is love and, and this song, they both kind of point in the same direction. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, and I think that's true. I mean, I think that there's a lot of things that that I've carried with me from where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. And son is something that I started playing in high school and I've grown a lot with it. Like a lot, of, you know, has helped shape the rest of my life, I guess, with with mm-hmm. just my involve, involvement in Latin America and my work. Um, even learning Spanish. When I started playing, I didn't speak Spanish. So I... To me, it, I mean, it's been a tool uh, to connect with other people, but also helped me find a lot more tools along the way of just being in the world and then also my work and things that we want to change. And I would like to just hook that back up with the idea that this is the music that you chose to represent your hopes for the future. Why is inclusivity important, hopeful mm-hmm. for you? Well, I think it means that like everybody has a role to to do everybody has a part in making in not only just making something but for it to, to for it to come together for it to sound good you have to have different elements even if you have two professional musicians playing it sounds amazing and it's great but if you have 100 people like really in a fandango it's a whole other thing and um and so it's it's really the importance of you know involving more people that the the music isn't just about how you sound that it's much more what you're creating and I think that's hopeful because I think we all have our own ideas and agendas about what we want to do or our own happiness and 
things like that. But it's not really about you. It's supposed to be about like, you know, you in relation to the rest of the world and like what what are we doing or what are we creating together? Because you can, I don't know, you can do as much as you want as an individual. It's not going to have a lasting impact um, as as it would if you if you relate to other people. And that's not to say like that your job or anything has to be has to be like helping people, but it's just doing things with the intention that other people are involved. Amen. No, you you say that so eloquently. Um, you know, and again, just uh, returning us to the present moment, this very strange national moment where it's more evident than it's ever been, I think, that we live in a very large, very wealthy and extremely divided nation. And that fundamental act of realizing, A, it's not just about me, mm-hmm. and B, what I do or think or feel is important in some kind of direct proportion to how much it forms alliances with others. Mm-hmm. Um, Seems to it just seems to me like a, <laughs> it's always a timely message, yeah. and maybe especially so right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> it's always a timely message. Would you like to know more? On our website at ciofuera.org, you can find lyrics to the songs we discuss, our blog about the issues of history, culture, and politics that come up around every song, links for listeners who might want to pursue a theme further and some very cool imagery. You'll also find playlists of all the songs from all the interviews to date and our special staff-curated playlist as well. We invite your comments or questions. Contact us at our website or participate in the Cio Fuera conversation on social media. We're out there on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And then there's just plain old word of mouth. If you like our show, do please tell your friends and your families to give it a listen. And do please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll bring you a new interview every two weeks on Friday mornings. Julia Alanis, Cynthia Marcel de la Torre, and Wesley McClintock are our sound engineers. Zoe Broussard and Laura Diaz hold down the marketing. David Castaneda is music researcher. Deaneira Garcia and Alex Dolvan make production possible. We are a not-for-profit venture currently and gratefully funded by the John Paul Simon Guggenheim Foundation. For now, and until the next interview, keep listening to one another. I'm Elizabeth Le Guin, and this is Si Yo Fuera Una Canción, If I Were a Song. fuera una canción sonarían por las calles las montañas y los valles mi orgullo y mi pasión ¿Quién soy yo de corazón? Soy una ola, soy una onda, una vibración que ronda por el universo vivo y sonando soy testigo a nuestra unidad más honda